I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans, and yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates, young voters who are angry, The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow The Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut. Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. I don't know if I can open us by singing the I Love Lucy theme song. I wanted to. I I feel like it's not public domain considering it's still on Hulu. I mean, people still own the rights to I Love Lucy. Yeah, one day we'll be able to sing it for free. (laughs) But for now, well, imagine I'm singing it uh, while Diana says. (laughs) Oh, what am I saying? Welcome back to the show. (laughs) Welcome back to the show, everyone. There it is. Welcome back. So happy to have you on this episode. Oh, I know you're thirsty for part two of this one because I am. Thirsty? Literally, I think I've got some water over here. (laughs) Ah, water. America's water. <laughs> Stay hydrated out there. Yes, it's important. Hydration is key. It's good for your key. skin. It's good for your organs. Yeah. It's good for your breathing. Keep your heart rate right down. It's good for your brain, probably. Probably. It's good for everything. It's yeah. water. I tell you, it's water's good for your brain because if you don't ever drink water, uh, your brain will die. <laughs> so. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Hey, uh, it's so great to have you back for part two of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Yes. Two of the coolest people who ever lived. So cool. Who happened to have a very tumultuous relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what brings them here to Ridiculous Romance. <laughs> exactly. If they'd just been a boring old married couple who were on TV, then um, they'd be 
who's a boring old married couple who's on TV. Barack and Michelle Obama. <laughs> boring. Wow, I, that's when I said think of a boring married couple on TV, you immediately went to the Obamas. I was uh, thinking like they're not very boring people, but their their relationship is kind of boring because it's so stable and normal. I was thinking like, you know, uh, Kevin James is probably married. Oh to someone. well, I was I was trying to think of an actual couple. On no, TV. I was too. I'm not saying Kevin James and Leah Remini. I was just thinking of like I don't know, Kevin James' wife might be a producer or something. Hmm. And they might be very exciting. So who knows? Maybe we'll be doing the Kevin James episode before you know it. Wow, that would be a shock. <laughs> But hey, you know, who knows? Kevin right. James, if you're listening, tell us all your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we'll do an episode. I don't know if I want Kevin James's secrets. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's hard to name a boring couple because I don't know until you look into it. Yeah. You just never know. Some people hide multitudes. But before we get into the really amazing life of the I Love Lucy show, we first have a mail call. <laughs> Awesome. So this one's super cool. Kendra reached out to us on Instagram and she said, I recently listened to your episodes on Hadrian and Antonis right before I traveled to Greece where I am now. I mentioned your episode to the guide and they showed me a statue related to that story. Thought I'd share. And she sent us a picture of one of the surviving statues of Antonis. Awesome. That's so cool. If you go back and listen to the Hadrian and Antonis story, if you haven't yet, uh, there was a whole cult built around mm-hmm. Antonus, and they would build statues of him in their cities just to get the emperor to favor them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, I, I think, hundreds of these statues. Obviously, thousands. Not many. thousands. But I think there's only a few, like hundreds, surviving. Or yeah, something like that. yeah. I can't remember now. <laughs> so very <laughs> Too cool many that Kendra got to see one. Yeah, and uh, also very cool of Kendra to be out here telling not just her friends and neighbors, uncles and aunts, but her tour guides <laughs> in Greece. Total strangers. Be more like Kendra, y'all. Yes, tell total strangers in Greece to listen to Ridiculous Romance. <laughs> it doesn't fit in the outro music, but I feel like maybe we can wedge it in there. We'll find a way to shoehorn it in. <laughs> tell your friends and neighbors, uncles and aunts, and your tour guides in Greece, <laughs> and any strangers you come across. To listen to it Well... It's a little. We'll have to spend some time on it, yeah. you know. It's no it's no too many girls. It's no Hallelujah. Hallelujah, I'm a bum. <laughs> but uh I go out cool. at night and I get me some Hallelujah, I'm a bum. Oh wow, we got the second verse. <laughs> <laughs> I told you there was more to it. That was just a hook. Oh, <laughs> uh, well thank you so much, Kendra, for sending that in. Yes, that was very cool to see an uh, actual statue of Antonis yeah. <laughs> out in the wild. Uh, now I want to go. We haven't been to Greece. No. I, t- I, I have been to Greece. Oh, yeah. You, you've been to Greece. If you get a chance, I told Kendra if she gets a chance to see Santorini, do it because it's just gorgeous and surreally beautiful. So anyway, we're isn't definitely going to go there. Isn't that like what you do in Greece? Probably. I don't know. I thought Santorini was one of those like go-to places, but maybe not. It probably is. I mean, we'd we went, so it's yeah. definitely, and we were doing like a cruise, like a Mediterranean cruise thing. Right, right. So if it was on a port, then probably it is pretty gotcha, touristy. Gotcha. But it was really cool, and I loved it. It was beautiful, and it was like the most blue water ever. If you go to the United States, <laughs> you got to see New York City. <laughs> a lot of people won't tell you this, but it's off the beaten path. <laughs> yeah. 
There's a little something there they call Disney World. <laughs> uh, tell us, shoot us a message and tell us where to go in your home country. Yeah, we love to travel. And we're really hoping to get back to it <laughs> at yeah, some point. One day. Uh, when that's a little easier, but yes. Yeah, so please send us, yeah, shit to do in where you live, because yeah. we would love to dream over future trips. Yeah, indeed, we with would. Your recommendations. But for now, we're dreaming about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. So true. And their amazing, rocky, strange, bizarre, and incredible life mm-hmm. together and apart. And uh, I think that we've got to get into part two. So. Definitely. What do you say we jump in? Let's do it. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So when last we spoke, at the end of part one, Desi had sealed the greatest deal in television history <laughs> by getting them to agree to let them shoot in Los Angeles on film and take a pay cut in exchange for, you know, just the rights to the reruns, <laughs> <laughs> which was an insanely good deal because nobody knew what reruns were at the time. Right. We sure do now. Oh, yeah. Although I guess... In a way, reruns are falling out of favor because if it's streaming, you can just watch any episode anytime. Yeah. If For you youngsters out there, <laughs> there was a point where you had to wait for an episode to come back on again a second time. Mm-hmm. And usually a show has to, had to reach 100 episodes before it went into syndication to be shown, you know, right. weekly on reruns and stuff. So there were some shows, you, even, even recently, there were some shows you saw once and until streaming came along, you never saw again. Unless you had you to get Firefly on DVD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So very true. It was a different time back in our childhood. <laughs> but shooting on film changed a lot for Lucy and Desi. It gave them a lot more to work with. They really wanted to focus on quality and innovation when it came to making I Love Lucy. So they asked their cinematographer friend, Karl Freund, Ooh, who's a German cinematographer, to come and work on the show as their director of photography. He was the DP on the movies Metropolis, which Mm. if you're into old movies or even if you're not, Metropolis is really awesome. Mm. Uh, It was one of those film school movies where I was like, okay, there's an old classic movie. I guess I have to watch it so that I can, you know, join those conversations with those (laughs) film film people. Yeah. Yeah. But then I watched it and I was like, oh, this is a super cool movie. Uh, It's pretty awesome. Sometimes they're classic for a reason. Oh, yeah. So uh, he was DP on Metropolis, also Boris Karloff's Dracula. Ooh, classic. And he actually directed Karloff's The Mummy. So this guy was a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Karl Freund was where it was at in the 1950s, and he initially didn't want anything to do with television. He was kind of like, oh, This is beneath me. I will not sully my career with such a useless medium as television. <laughs> Real artists only work with the big screen. Yeah. <laughs> they don't do this little thing. This is for children. This silver screen. Silly little tiny, tiny TV screens. <laughs> what is something? I'm not interested in your little itty bitty TV shows. <laughs> like, Who is this? <laughs> Who is Carl? He's got a lot of sides. <laughs> we'll find him. 
<laughs> He'll be around a lot. We'll find his voice. So he's not into it initially, but Lucy and Desi went to him personally and they sat him down and they just charmed the absolute hell out of this guy. And he's like, all right, this challenge seems worthy of my efforts. <laughs> and uh, they, they, uh, he agrees to do the show. Together, they're going to revolutionize the sitcom and they all know it. I mean, they're going to do it or they're going to die trying because mm -hmm. they're not they're not going to do things the usual way. They've already shaken it up. A few years back, the show Amos and Andy was trying to save money so they could keep making more episodes. And they figured out that it was cheaper to use three cameras and shoot simultaneously and then cut that footage together rather than the previous format, which was to shoot each scene several times with one camera pointing in different directions. Mm -hmm. So Carl is like, well, step one, I'm stealing that. <laughs> Yoink. <laughs> I'm just going to borrow this little <laughs> format here and we're going to make some magic happen. <laughs> and he did with his skill as a cinematographer and that format it became the shooting style that we know today on those famous three camera sitcoms. Mm -hmm. We're talking, you know, from the 90s, Friends and Seinfeld. We're talking All in the Family, going back earlier than that, Happy Days. Uh, uh, I'm going back in time, but, but mm -hmm. Two and a Half Men, I think. I don't know. I stopped watching three camera sitcoms a while ago, but no they idea. still happen. Oh, yeah. And meanwhile, Desi is a performer. We know this, right? He's a band leader. He used oh, yeah. to... He's used to live clubs, theater. He's used uh -huh. to being in the room with people and feeding off of their energy. And that is real people. Yeah. All right. And we all know it now because of the pandemic. Right. But like people saw comedy shows and theater and stuff through their screen and you know it was different. It's not the same. It's not the same without... There's an exchange that happens yep. and I could talk to you about it for hours on end, but I'm not going to. <laughs> um <laughs> But it is a really powerful exchange, and uh, it is kind of is the magic of live performance. Um, it happens in concerts, and it happens in theater as well. And yeah. So he was kind of like, hey, I want a live studio audience. I, I want people in the room to laugh yeah. at these jokes. It yeah. really makes a difference. And this was completely unprecedented, so CBS freaked out like they always did whenever they try to bring something cool <laughs> to the table. Yeah, they're like, are you, are you, are you crazy? There's so many issues here. People, live people, while mm. we're shooting a TV show, people are unpredictable. Like they're gonna laugh at all the wrong times. <laughs> they're gonna be noisy. They're gonna be smelly. Oh, so smelly. They're gonna, you know, be coughing and farting, and like Ugh. they're gonna make this impossible. Yeah. They're gonna throw tomatoes when they don't like the jokes. Probably isn't that what people do? I don't know. I haven't met common people <laughs> <laughs> ever since I became a CBS executive. <laughs> I like tomatoes. <laughs> That's enough, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> they also, though, they, they did point out that the fire code made it impossible as well. Yeah. They were like, it's a, you know, they're thinking about their normal way of doing things, their regular system. And they're like, you can't have 100 people, an extra 100 people on a soundstage while we shoot TV because there's these big sets and you're going to have to move them around while you change yeah. the set and you change the floor. There's nowhere for them to sit. There's right. no, like, yeah, it's we're, just, you're talking about a whole big mess. We're shooting in, in the kitchen right now, but the living room's on the other side of the soundstage. You got to get everybody up and walk mm -hmm. them over there. It's going to take extra time. Yeah. And then, yeah, if there's a fire or something, like we're all going to die. So they said, nope. 
It's gonna be canned laughter. Canned laughter. We love it. That's the magic of television. Uh-huh. So deal with it. It's what they've been doing for years. Was just like you get pre-recorded laughter. You add it in after a joke. You probably play it live while they're filming. And you're like, yeah, how is that any different than a live it's audience? It's all the same. It's all the same. We can control it. You know, mm-hmm. we can control how much laughing it is. Like, it's like you how know, loud it is. get a yeah. lot of control over that. Mm-hmm. So Desi and Carl Freund, who are not ones to, you know, just sit back and say, whatever you say, boss. <laughs> you know. Oh, he said, no, I guess we're not doing it. <laughs> no, no, no. They got together and they started laying out design concepts. They're like, OK, well, what if it's not just big random sets laid out around the studio? What if all the sets are side by side, all facing the same direction towards a row of audience seats? They won't have to move. They can watch the whole thing from where they are. And there's a clear exit in case of a fire, just like a theater. Just do it like theater. And the CBS executives are like, well, hot damn, Desi, you think you did it again. I'm so glad I had this idea to bring in a live studio audience. Great job, boss. Yes, well, I'm pretty smart. How about <laughs> well, a raise why, for me? That's why you're the big guy. That's why you're the big guy. <laughs> I sure am. I'm a very, I picture myself as a very large man <laughs> with a cigar and a, I, and a thin mustache. A <laughs> I also saw a cigar. <laughs> of course. And like the three camera format, this setup with a live studio audience, with the sets all facing the same direction side by side, Again, this is the way many sitcoms are still filmed today, 70 years later. And it wasn't just the arrangement and camera layout. A laundry list of camera elements that are standard for modern sitcoms, like close-ups, medium shots, long shots, they were all polished and perfected by Freund on I Love Lucy. Shows used to have to reset their lighting depending on which actors the camera was focusing on. Uh But Carl developed a flat lighting technique, and it naturally lit the whole set without having to make a lot of major adjustments between shots, which can be very time-consuming. Oh, yeah. And obviously for an audience, incredibly boring. Oh, yeah. So you'd lose all that energy you were getting. And if there were any shadow issues, he brought in paint in all different shades of gray so you could just paint the... (laughs) the gray the right way so it didn't show that's so crazy to (laughs) me they're like insane oh there's a weird shadow of some of our equipment here so that's a darker gray than the rest of the set Mm -hmm. and he's like well paint Paint that a very light gray and then when the shadow hits it it'll look the same as the rest of the wall that's so crazy see they were thinking like no rules yeah you know what i mean when some people can really remove boundaries you can tell like there's some and it seems so like I'm sure when he said it, people were like, what? You yeah, a bunch right. of gray paint? Like, who the <laughs> fuck is this German guy? But, like, it worked. And it was, like, simple and effective and weird, and it worked. Do not scoff at my gray painting technique. <laughs> you know not what you say. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the live audience was a hit. Desi knew they'd behave themselves. He trusted a live audience. That was his people. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about this. The guy came from the club scene and then combined that with his experience in vaudeville and Lucille's experience in vaudeville theater. It gave them the realistic energy that just hadn't been felt on TV before. Mm-hmm. And they would have regular audiences of returning people. And if an actor wasn't in a scene, they would go out and sit in the audience as well and join in the laughter. In fact, 
you can regularly hear Desi Arnaz's signature laugh just echoing through the studio when like, you know, it was a scene of Lucy and Ethel getting into their shenanigans or something <laughs> like that. You can hear that and you know it when you hear it. That very distinct Desi Arnaz laugh. Sometimes you'll hear a woman saying, uh-oh, when something crazy happens. And that is Lucille Ball's mother, Dee Dee. She became a regular audience member as well. What a family affair. I know. That's cool. Execs at CBS were mind blown yet again <laughs> of by the incredible innovation what of this a, team. What a great idea we had. <laughs> they were like, oh boy, this live studio audience laughter is the way to go. Yep. Yep. You're welcome, world. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We did it. Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah. So what did they do? Did they convert every other sitcom to a live studio audience and get the same effect? No, silly, because that would be expensive. They just recorded the laughter from the I Love Lucy live studio audience and used it on other shows. No. You no. ding-dongs. <laughs> Wrong lesson. That's not That's not what we're supposed to take from this. Like, that laughter sounds so much more spontaneous than the other laughter. Let's can that spontaneous laughter, and then it'll sound more spontaneous when it's canned later in another show. Oh, it's brilliant, Larry. Here's a bag of money. Oh, thanks so much, boss. I didn't do anything, but thanks. <laughs> that's, that's... It's so crazy. You can hear Desi Arnaz's that same crazy signature laugh on all kinds of other sitcoms from the 50s. Which is so funny that he had this signature laugh and they're like Desi Arnaz is just in the audience for every show. <laughs> every show. He's so supportive. <laughs> oh my god. That's insane that they're like this laughter it's 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 fresh. It's it's new. It's live. It's the actors are feeding off of it. That's so great. We'll do it on every show by which I mean <laughs> we'll just steal this. Like you're not getting what you want. Here's the thing, though. Not the, those other shows, they aren't that funny. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, Maybe that was the problem. They weren't getting the laughs, so we'll get the laughs from the funny show, put it on the not funny oh, show, no. and maybe some people will be tricked into thinking that not funny show is a funny show. <laughs> oh, F Troop's really not selling this week. Give me some of that <laughs> laughter from I Love Lucy. <laughs> anyway, any F Troop fans out there? Okay, we're talking about... What a difference Lucy and Desi made in in this industry, right? And how how different TV would be today if they hadn't done what they did because they revolutionized the sitcom. And, and we're literally still watching. It's not even like they did some things and those eventually turned into what we're watching today. We're literally watching what they did today. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, Speculation Station... <laughs> What the hell would have happened if Lucille Ball had been cast in Gone with the Wind? Oh, my God. I mean, completely different. We'd be talking about how Vivian Lee was the least funny sitcom actress <laughs> in TV history on the show. I well, love Vivian that lasted well, I love Vivian. Th three episodes before it was canceled. Would we even know anything about Vivian Lee? Because as you pointed I mean, well, out, yeah. No, uh, yeah. we don't know much about her now. I'm sure she worked in the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know, but... But yeah, how weird. Uh, sitcoms might not be the same at all. No. Like, I wonder if, if... It's possible that someone else would have thought of some of these innovations, but... 
I mean, it's pretty incredible that they caught so many lightnings in a bottle at yeah. the same time. You know what I mean? It's just one of those butterfly effect things where I, I don't know if this... I don't know that somebody else would have come up with the same thing because it was so unique to Lucy and Desi's live experience yeah, their and their and their ability as producers. Mm-hmm. Because any other you know vaudeville actor might have gotten a TV show, but if they didn't have the the business savvy mm-hmm. to be absolutely in charge of every element and the smoothness to talk their way into doing what they wanted to do then I don't think anybody else could have pulled it off. I think the studio would have just kept doing it the way they wanted to do it. That would have evolved into something that we probably can't even imagine today. Mm-hmm. You know, they maybe maybe it just would have gotten to the single camera comedies that we watch today faster. Or maybe TV would have died. <laughs> I mean, certainly, I tell you one thing, the entire culture of celebrities in television comedy today would probably be a completely different set of people. Yeah. I mean, think of how many true. people got famous in the three-camera sitcom format. Mm-hmm. Jason Bateman, our, our good friend in front of the show, Jason Bateman, or um, <laughs> our good friend in front of the show, Kevin James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, again- Our good friend in front of the show, Will Smith. Sure, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, another excellent three-camera sitcom, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And another great friend. And he's a, he's a good friend. All those, that whole cast. It, it, it was nice to have them here last week. But um, <laughs> Both Vivians? I and know, it, I couldn't believe they both came can out. Can you believe? But, yeah. And Alfonso, I mean, you know, we thought it was going to be trouble, but they, they all got along. We yeah, had a nice time. It was a really nice time. I forgot to email them afterwards and say thanks for coming, but I'm yeah. sure they'll be fine with it. We can do it today. Oh, that's a good idea. You know what? We'll just do it right now. Hey, uh, y'all, since I know you're listening to the show, thank you for coming the other night. Cast of Fresh Prince of (laughs) Bel-Air. It was so nice. Lovely having you. Um, And uh, yes, we we are in for each of your next projects. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We better pull out of Speculation Station get back to the story here. I know. We're all over the place. All right. Of course, they did clash on some creative ideas. For example, what we saw in the show was... Desi's choices to play Fred and Ethel, actors Vivian Vance and William Frawley. Lucy had wanted another actress that she knew, Bay Benedret, and her friend Gail Gordon from radio, uh-huh. Lucy's old. We talked radio about partner. him in the first part, but they would they had a working relationship for fifty years. Oh like, yeah, they were they old were friends, very close colleagues. Yeah, and friends. And ultimately, the network sided with Desi, and they cast Vivian and William. Who are the Fred and Ethel that we know and love today? I mean, they're hilarious on that show. But overall, their creative differences weren't really a source of friction in their relationship. All of their screaming and yelling and fighting stemmed from more personal matters. And there was a lot of screaming, yelling, and fighting. Yeah. Um, They both wanted children, but there was one continuous struggle that they were dealing with. Up to this point, they had suffered three miscarriages together. And that wasn't like a source of friction per se, like they were being cruel to each other about it or something. Um, But Desi especially came from a large family, many, many children. They both were feeling like they wanted something in their lives that was starting to feel unattainable. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there with fertility issues, and it can be such a source of heartache to be so desperate for something that seems to be coming so easily for other people, yeah. um, especially 
you know, we all know we have those baby waves and the people in our lives where it seems like everyone you know is pregnant or right, something. Right. Like, And if you're struggling with fertility in that time, it can be very dark. You know, it can be, I think, just a weight, you know, and yeah. it can be an enormous weight in a relationship and drag everything down and down and down. I'm sure a lot of people know that. Hopefully, and you know, you have what they clearly seem to have, which is at least some support for each other. And it wasn't like a, a blame game right. or something, you know, nothing cruel, like I say, right, <laughs> nothing right. cruel from Desi, like, why don't you get pregnant or something? Uh-huh. Like, nothing like that. Um, but anyway, just to say that's, you know, if you're out there with a fertility issue, we see you. It's very hard and thinking about you. Yeah. But fortunately, their creative baby is being developed in 1950 with I Love Lucy, and they got pregnant. And their first child was born in 1951, just before the show started to shoot. And that was their daughter, Lucy, with an I-E instead of a Y. Mm. Just a differentiator from her mother, even right, though when right. you say it, mm, <laughs> sounds the same. <laughs> and despite their business and creative unity, things had been really rocky in their marriage. Lucille really hoped that their daughter would smooth things out and fix the problems they were having. It's a common yeah. misconception, I think, that right. a baby can fix it. Right. It's a common misconception that conception <laughs> will solve all your problems. I was, thinking, I was like, <laughs> is there a conception joke here? There is. I found it. I'm glad you found it. <laughs> Thank you for finding that. Yeah. Uh, usually babies just make it more complicated. I don't know. Anyway, so she was hoping Desi would stop his wandering eye, that he would be more focused on being the family man that she wanted him to be. And again, he wanted children, too. So right, that's right. entirely possible. He'd get really wrapped up in his family. Right. And things were better for a time. Desi reportedly stopped his womanizing habits. Uh, working together in L.A. really seemed to help the two solidify their relationship in the early days. Yeah. Um, so they were doing really well there for a minute. And she probably was like, yes, babies fix everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the show, of course, We Don't Need to Tell You, was right. an immediate hit. Everybody's talking about I Love Lucy. Their existing celebrity was exponentially increased. All across America, people are slapping their thighs and choking on their TV dinners from laughing so hard at Lucy and Ricky's antics. I mean, this was just the talk of the town. Just hundreds, the- hundreds of people a year choke to death <laughs> from laughing at I Love Lucy. That's the on true CBS. sign of success on CBS. Tune in and choke to death. Maybe don't eat, eat while you're watching. <laughs> And so, of course, the show was obviously renewed without question. CBS has dollar signs in their eyes. And again, I'm just, they're like, oh, we're we're so smart. Putting an interracial wacky couple on TV. It's exactly what America wanted. Bags of money all around for us. Thanks so much, boss. Three cheers for me. Hip, hip. Hooray. Hooray. So, yeah, everybody's happy. And things are going great, which seems like a great place for us to just kind of sit in this positive environment Mm -hmm. for a few seconds while we take a quick little commercial break. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut. Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. And welcome back to the show, everybody. So just as season two of I Love Lucy was moving into production, Lucy and Desi were surprised with a second pregnancy. I guess we don't really know if it was a surprise. I guess technically, se. yeah. <laughs> they were like, well, we definitely were having sex and hoping for a child. Maybe so, yeah. <laughs> but it seemed but... it seemed ill-timed anyway, so it might have been a surprise. It might have been a surprise, yeah. Speculation station. <laughs> they were surprised. <laughs> a great surprise. So there was no way that Lucy was not going to be very obviously pregnant long before the season was through. Right. And a lot of people think that this was TV's first on-air pregnancy. Actually, in 1948, the show Mary Kay and Johnny wrote the lead actress's pregnancy into the plot because hiding it was proving to be too difficult. Right. It's like, how many... <laughs> Very difficult to hide a pregnancy. How many pillows could she carry around <laughs> before it looks weird? Right. Like, <laughs> I love on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Amy Santiago in one season, the actual actress is pregnant and uh-huh. she's always carrying this enormous purse oh, yeah. <laughs> like on whichever arm her b- belly is facing out. So it's funny when you when you can catch it, when you uh-huh. know they're pregnant, you're like, I see you putting her behind a desk all the time uh-huh. or she's always like looking up from the fridge or something like hiding her belly some way. Yeah. Or just wearing real loose dresses <laughs> out of nowhere. So anyway, there was precedent to having pregnancy shown on television. Right, right. 
But as usual, our friends at CBS <laughs> were very, like, whoa, freaking out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> A pregnant woman on TV? Oh. Oh, wait, we keep telling the kids to come from storks. What are we going to do? Tell them there's no Santa? Yeah. Well, think of the children. How are we supposed to explain this? <laughs> yeah, hearts and minds across America will just start projectile vomiting at the televisions <laughs> at the mere mention of the miracle life. It's completely unethical. This goes against the will of God himself to show or talk about a pregnant woman on TV. It's like, do y'all know where babies come from for real? Like, have, have you never seen a really? pregnant woman? Like, do you have children? Just... Does your wife, is she okay? <laughs> so, Desi Arnaz, who is a man who seems to take glee in pushing the envelope and challenging the studio's decisions. Which I love. Every time that he's told no, he's like, let me just uh, work around that. Yeah. I'll just work around that. Let me turn that no into a, yes, we would love for you to do that, Desi. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Americans won't like it. Let me go ask America real quick. <laughs> and he literally, he rounds up a Catholic priest, a rabbi, and a Protestant minister, and I guess they walk into a bar, <laughs> and he sits he said, him down. Hey, can a pregnant woman <laughs> be on TV? Literally. He says, hey, do you guys have a problem with pregnant women existing? <laughs> and they all go consult with their various gods or whatever, and they come back and they're like, no, that's dumb as hell. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You can absolutely show a pregnant woman, and you can talk about a pregnant woman. That's all hunky-dory. No god would forbid that. That's insane. <laughs> so Turns out Jesus was born. <laughs> Literally, there's a very prominent <laughs> pregnant woman in, in the story the of the Bible. Like, in the Bible, there's pregnancy. Who Many. knew? So, the CBS executives are like, okay, 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 okay. You, you twisted my arm. Fine. <laughs> you can have a pregnancy storyline in the show. You can show it. But, oh God, you can't say the P word. Pregnant. Why? Why? <laughs> shocking. You know. Why was pregnant? The word that families you... across America just couldn't handle the mention. I think it's just the idea of human anatomy existing. Yeah, the I mere guess so. suggestion that sex is a thing that exists in the real world was just too. Oh, 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 I can't handle it. <laughs> like clutching pearls. <laughs> oh, I've never clutched my pearls so hard. <laughs> Somebody go give me some pearls so I can clutch them. <laughs> So they never say pregnant on the show. They will say expecting or they will say infanticipating, which is so much worse That's than pregnant. Truly awful. <laughs> Do not say the word infanticipating to me ever, please. Thank you. Yeah, I hate it. Thank I you. I would stop watching a TV show if they said that word. <laughs> also, how is infanticipating worse than pregnant? I know. I mean, better than pregnant. Like, right? That's so much worse than pregnant. Anyway, duh, the storyline's a hit because somehow Americans are able to relate to a wife being pregnant in 1953. <laughs> yeah. They're like, nobody knows about pregnancy. That, that's not going to play. How many American audiences have ever heard of pregnancy before? 100% of them. <laughs> Everyone who was ever born? 
On January 19th, the episode Lucy Goes to the Hospital aired with over 71% of American televisions tuned in. Wow. And the episode was intentionally timed to air the same day that Lucille Ball had a C-section and delivered their son, Desi Arnaz IV. Cute. That's cute. That is a, almost a gimmick. Yeah, a little, little publicity. A little gimmick. Hey, Lucy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, how'd you like to have your C-section next Thursday? She's like, uh, it's supposed to be this Wednesday. She's <laughs> like, eh, can you put it off? Because we're trying to do this whole thing with the episode airing at the same time. Okay. <laughs> I can... I can... I'll cross my legs until then. <laughs> More people tuned into that episode than the following morning's coverage of the inauguration of President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Wow. <laughs> so America was basically like, hey, I like Ike, but I like little Ricky Moore. <laughs> Where's that button? Right. I like little Ricky. Out of its six seasons... Four seasons of I Love Lucy were the most watched show in the United States. The show won the Emmy for Best Comedy Program in 1953 and 54. Lucille Ball was nominated several times, and she won in 1953 and 1956. Vivian Vance was nominated a bunch of times, and she won in 1954. William Frawley was nominated several times himself. Yet there were no Emmy nominations for Desi Arnaz. In 1956, he was awarded a Golden Globe for Best Television Achievement for his work in front of and behind the camera to help shape the American sitcom. Mm -hmm. But kind of insane that he was never given, you know, a, an Emmy nomination. And it makes me pull into speculation station here, even mm -hmm. though it's not really a speculation at all, <laughs> that it's almost like William. Yeah, sure. We'll nominate him. Vivian? Yeah, sure. Let's nominate her. Lucille? Oh, of course. We've got to nominate her. How about Desi Arnaz? I don't know. Something about him is different that just makes me not feel like he deserves recognition. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. Ridiculous. He's clearly, I mean, You can't say all... that Desi Arnaz was the only weak link in freaking I Love Lucy. Oh, my God. They're all hilarious. But I... the times I have just died laughing at one of his facial expressions. I mean, the his like the way his exasperated look when Lucy's doing <laughs> something crazy is just unmatched. Mm -hmm. It's brilliant. Like, the man is as good on camera as he is in the in the offices. He, he's a genius. He's one of a kind. And, and it's insane and obvious yes. that he was not given awards recognition for that. <sighs> so, you know, I don't know. Who knows why they decided to pass over him? We may never be able to understand. Total mystery. Big shrug. Don't know what's different about Desi Arnaz from the rest of his castmates. It's just... Come just on, guys. Something about him. Just something. The show was so big, everyone wanted to be involved. Guest stars like Bob Hope, John Wayne... Eve Arden, Harpo Marx, Orson Welles, Hedda Hopper, Red Skelton, Milton Berle, and even George Reeves as Superman appeared on the show. Amazing. That means Ricky and Lucy are DC canon. <laughs> yes, hello. So, WB, if you're trying to be out here competing with MCU, I think you know what to do. Can we please get <laughs> Dawn of Lucy, you know? Justice League with Ricky Ricardo. 
<laughs> and Lucille Ball. <gasps> Speculation station. Maybe that's what they're going to do with this new Aaron Sorkin movie they're making about <gasps> Lucy and Desi. Oh, my God. <laughs> Absolutely not. Aaron Sorkin would never no. get into the superhero no. game. But wouldn't it be great if they spun it off? <laughs> <laughs> just stuck them in there. They're like, listen, they say, seem like heroes to me. <laughs> what a crossover. <laughs> so yeah, together, as we keep saying, they're an industry powerhouse. But Desi alone was a master businessman and artist. Uh, Lucille once said, Desi revolutionized television. At first, everybody thought it was me who was calling the shots and making the decisions, but... It was when we started doing other series besides our own, and I never showed up at a meeting that they believed that Desi was the brains. (laughs) You got to show up to meetings, guys. Right. (laughs) That's how you get shit done. Uh, His daughter, Lucy, pointed out that his presence on television gave him more power in the business world. She said it was good for him that he was that lunatic Cuban in people's living rooms every Monday night because he would call them up on Tuesday and negotiate as the head of Desilu. So basically had this wacky comedy persona that everybody thought he was. We'd kind of get their guard down about him. And then he showed up the next day as Mr. Business and starts calling the shots and making demands and being like, right. how about I just totally innovate this entire system that you think <laughs> I can't change? And they're like, whoa, I thought you were just the silly Congo leader, you know? <laughs> and I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right? That's the thing. He's both. And they all start, yeah, the whole board room starts doing the conga line around the table. And they're like, I don't know what's happened, but it's this... <laughs> It's the magic. (laughs) What did I say yes to? Who cares? Let him do it. (laughs) On her end, Lucy was finally the star that she set out to be. And here she is advancing the cause of women in comedy. I think a lot of people thought at the time that, you know, uh, the woman role in the sitcom had to be something very specific, Mm -hmm. that there was a place, there was a certain set of behaviors they had to have. I mean, they still think that. (laughs) I mean, that's true. Uh, but Lucy totally broke that open. Oh, yeah. I think. Definitely. She admitted that she had developed bravery as an actress through her years. So she was getting that confidence that she didn't have originally. Mm-hmm. You know, she knew she was shy and, and wasn't kind of willing to step forward and take the stage when she was younger. And now she really felt the strength and the power to do that. So this was so different from her days in school with that attention hog, Betty Davis. Jeez, Betty, sit down. <laughs> But she still didn't consider herself a natural comedian, right? She said that she was terrible at table reads. A lot of people thought her abilities came so naturally to her, but she actually put a lot of work into each and every beat. She would take the script home each night and she would read over it obsessively, going over every single joke and moment. And she practiced each and every facial expression, those iconic Lucy facial expressions that just seem so natural and ridiculous and just (laughs) nobody else can do it. That's because she practiced them over and over and over again all night long until she got it perfect. And then she would come in the next day and just kill like uh, the crew, like couldn't stop laughing Mm -hmm. because she was so good. But I think we take that for granted that it wasn't necessarily something that came naturally to her, that it was a product of a lot of hard work. Yeah. And that's something I think that people often think when it comes to comedy, that it's just easy for funny people to be funny. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that comedy is so much less recognized in terms of uh, the skill and the quality that it takes. You know, 
a, a dramatic actor is going to win an award over a comedic actor every time. Mm -hmm. But almost any actor who's done both will tell you that comedy is so much harder. Because the timing required is uh -huh. so much more precise. Yeah. It's like the difference between cooking and baking. Oh, yeah, sure. That's I good. think. Co yeah. Comedy is like you really need the exact right ingredients and the exact right temperature and the exact right time stirred the exact right amount of times. Yeah. Like it's it's more precise than you think, especially yep. even if you're doing improv or something off the cuff. Right. You have to have a lot of training to do it well. Yeah. And we've all seen a bad improv show. So oh, God. I don't have to tell you. If you haven't. <laughs> don't. God, save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> if you but, haven't, you probably have, but don't. But see a good improv show because there's nothing like it. Amazing. It's yeah. so fun. But yeah, but with cooking, you can be a bad cook, but it's much easier to like, I don't know, just kind of play in that space yeah. in a different way. Yeah, that's cool. But then in 1953, the House Un-American Committee was out there trying to track down all these America-hating Rudolph the Red-Nosed Commies. They were secretly trying to sell Hollywood secrets to the Russians or something. Whatever it <laughs> Whatever was they were that they thought about. they were doing. <laughs> These communist celebrities, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna ruin this country by, I don't know, being communist. That, yeah, just being one. Yeah, I think that's it. Like, did, they, did they think that actors had the nuclear codes? Maybe. <laughs> so anyway, Senator Joseph McCartney, well known for hating entertainment and humor. <laughs> Uh, dug up that in 1936, Lucille Ball had registered as a communist. So they dragged her before the committee and they held this big hearing. Oh. And she testified that she had indeed registered as a communist. But she had done it to appease her grandfather. <laughs> and her mother and brother had done the same, actually. Uh, her grandfather is a strong socialist. That he basically coerced them into joining. Um, but it wasn't something she claimed any particular interest in. She later said in an interview that she was never worried about the public not taking her side because, quote, I think any time you give the American people the truth, they're with you. Oh, oh Lucy. Simpler if, times. If only. Oh. If only, ma'am. Simpler, simpler times. You sweet summer child, Lucille Ball. <laughs> you didn't know about the winter. <laughs> Winter came. <laughs> Winter came. Anyway, so before they filmed the next episode of I Love Lucy, Desi went out to warm up the crowd, as he usually did, and he explained about the hearing and about Lucy's grandfather and just told him the whole story. And he told him, the only thing read about Lucy is her hair, and even that's not legitimate. <laughs> so, <laughs> laughter, laughter, applause, laughing. scandal, over. Yeah. Situation fully diffused. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Desi. <laughs> wow, you should be a hostage negotiator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that Lucy was in general right, like yeah. the, oh, yeah. about, you know, just being truthful, just like, yeah, I did register as a communist and it wasn't no thing. And mm -hmm. also, like, I mean, you know, she wasn't going to take the opportunity to explain the differences between <laughs> communism socialism. and socialism, all that, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, it, it it just wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. But J. Edgar Hoover thought it was a big deal, and he never forgot it. He didn't forget anything. This that guy's guy, crazy. Mr. Grudge. And the FBI kept tabs on Desi and Lucy for years. They would take any hint of socialism onto record. One night, Lucy's like, you want to share a piece of cake? <laughs> There's like three <gasps> agents in a van outside. They want to share! <laughs> 
So it looks Somebody like, get a gun. <laughs> so it looks like they're prepping for a case against them. But Hoover was also already mad at Desilu for producing the series The Untouchables. And that series credited Treasury agent Elliot Ness for feats achieved by the FBI. So he was really just being a petty ass about it. <laughs> like, that was, but I did that. Mm-hmm. Not Kevin Costner. <laughs> that was the movie Untouchables, but still. Apparently, Hoover had G-Men watching the Untouchables obsessively trying to find any mistakes to file away. Like, can you ima- like your tax mistakes dollars at work. What? I know, right? Your tax dollars at work, folks. Just He's watching like, TV all day. One day I'm going to get a podcast and I'm going to tell them everything they did wrong. <laughs> That'll show them. I wonder if that's what's really going on whenever you see those headlines like, this company wants to pay you $1,000 a week just to watch Netflix. <laughs> it's the it's the government. <laughs> it's, the, it's the FBI being like, now take down any instance where they say the name Gregory. <laughs> now I want you to watch Sweet Tooth and tell me if those little <laughs> animal children are communists. <laughs> So all in all, of course, this amounted to nothing, but, Mm. you know, not for lack of Hoover and McCartney trying. Right. Uh, So I think we're going to go take a quick break here and uh, share a piece of cake. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be right back after this commercial. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. 
Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. All right. We have ordered our dinner and we are <laughs> back Ready to keep going. Uh, Until dinner gets here. <laughs> Until dinner gets here. Hopefully we finish this final chapter of Lucy and Desi before then. If not, this episode will end with us dropping everything in the middle, <laughs> running out the door. <laughs> so hungry. I know. All right, anyway, so things were still rocky behind the scenes for Lucy and Desi. Um, Keith Thibodeau, who played their on-screen son, Little Ricky, said he would overhear loud arguing and cursing and glass shattering. Um, their real-life daughter, Lucy, said there was no abuse, like no actual hitting or name-calling or anything like that. But there was a lot of anger, a lot of screaming. Mm. Um, and over the years, Desi did devolve into alcoholism. Yeah. And, of course, there were too many girls. <laughs> <laughs> Common theme throughout both these parts. Yep. A friend of theirs later said that Desi's attitude was basically, hey, I love Lucy. The other women are just paid for, so what's the problem? Uh, again, I think we talked about this before, but the problem is you're in a committed relationship and these rules have not been established, right? Yeah. Like, I, I get that Heath feels like, you've got my whole heart. Mm-hmm. I, I I love you. You're the most important person in the world to me. So who cares if I fuck around with some other girls? But she cares. Yeah. And she cares. That was the agreement that she understood when you got married. Yeah. That it was just the two of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that that idea might be fine for some couples. Hey, sure. you and me are a thing, and the other girls are whatever. That's just fun. I'm just yeah, going or to the fun. other guys or whatever. Yeah, whoever. I mean, like you don't like roller coasters. Nope. And it's totally okay for me to go ride roller coasters with other women. <laughs> right? I mean, you said it in a real shady way. <laughs> no, but yeah, of course it is. Yeah, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, if you wanted to write jokes with somebody else, I might feel a little, like, upset about that. <laughs> I would never, without you talking to you first. write jokes with other people. Well, yeah, I know, but, you know, that's that's our thing. <laughs> That's, that's our personal experience, you know? <laughs> um, and if anybody out there wants to write some jokes, you can find me on Twitter at, oh, great, it's Eli. <laughs> we don't have to tell Diana. Uh, I'll see it because it'll be on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, but you never like my tweets. It's true. <laughs> no, that's not true. In biography, there's a story from her publicist, Charles Pomerantz. The magazine Confidential had just come out with a story about Desi being a womanizer with some choice details 
about, uh, you know, some of the goings on with Desi Arnaz. And her publicist used his connections to get Lucy an advanced copy. He's basically like, look, I just want you to know this story's about to run. I love you, Lucy. Wanted (laughs) you to have this first just so you could read it before anybody else did so you knew what was about to go down, Mm -hmm. right? She's like, okay, she takes the magazine and later that day on set when she wasn't needed, she took it into her dressing room to read it. Now everybody knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. So the whole crew is like gathered around, (laughs) waiting, staring at the door, just waiting for- Ears to the door. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just frozen like, oh shit, this is gonna be so insane. They're just waiting for her to blow her bright red top (laughs) about (laughs) this- salacious story that's about to be printed about Desi Arnaz and his nightly activities. So after a few minutes, she opens the door and everybody like plays it real cool. Like, (laughs) I wasn't standing here waiting for you to come. You know, she's like, okay, I get it. She looks around, sees everyone. And then she just walks right past Desi in his dressing room chair. She tossed the magazine in his lap and said, Oh, hell, I could tell him worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, y'all missed a few in there. I thought this was a scoop. (laughs) She don't care. She's like, this is nothing. Mm -hmm. You want dirty details? You should have called me. interviewed me for this article. (laughs) The writer's like, well, I didn't know you'd answer me, but I'll go get my pen and paper. I'll be right Right, back. Right, right. I Love Lucy ended in 1957. It was the first show to end at the top of the Nielsen ratings. Usually your show ends, you know, yeah. because it's not it's like, doing well. Yeah, at the top of the Nielsen ratings, they're probably like, keep going, keep more. Going. At that point, there were 180 episodes, and Desilu, who'd been raking it in on the reruns, <laughs> sold the syndication rights back to CBS for $4.5 million. Oh, God, and in 1957? Is calculating now... Roughly $40 million today. Wow. That's pretty good. They took that money and some other money. (laughs) And for $6 million, they purchased RKO Studios and its movie lot, which made Lucy the first woman head of a major film studio. Incredible. And they continued working together. They even extended I Love Lucy into the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour, it was that was like 13 episodes and they would air occasionally as specials over the next 3 years. So they're still cranking out the comedy and doing great business-wise. But unfortunately, their marriage had effectively been over for years. Um they were going through the motions kind of for the sake of the family. But Ball summed up the last 5 years of their marriage as just booze and broads. Yeah. Too many girls. Too many girls. <laughs> Okay, and so in 1960, she decided they would be better off apart than together, and they officially divorced. In the divorce papers, which she filed the day after shooting their final episode of the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour, she referred to the marriage as a nightmare, which is sad because they were just such a good, like, business couple that, like, it sucks when you can't be romantically a couple at the same time but it's not always the same you know that's not the same relationship at all so anyway that's a bummer they were finally officially divorced two months later Mm. 
no last minute dance clubs this time. Yeah. No fun last t- last dinners. Yeah. Nothing like that. It no was... no trick divorce. Right. Yeah. File the work paperwork and <laughs> no then show story. up the next day. Yeah. It just they were done. But fortunately, their relationship actually greatly improved after they decided to separate. They both clearly wanted this divorce. It wasn't working out. Lucy even said, we didn't even get two lawyers for the divorce. (laughs) (laughs) The one lawyer was like, wait, I got to do both both sides. sides? (laughs) Their daughter said that it took a few years to calm down, but they stayed friends till the bitter end. And that was good for the kids. See, they, I mean, right there, again, yeah. a business relationship, however wonderful and perfect and great, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily translate right. to a good romantic right. relationship. And right. it seems like all of their connection still there, Yeah, but they just could never really marry, pun intended, their <laughs> visions for what marriage should look like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's just too bad. And they both remarried. Mm-hmm. Then the very next year, Lucy married Gary Morton, whoever he is. Sounds boring. <laughs> and Desi- Sorry, Gary. We're shitting so- all over Gary. I know, right? Lucy's <laughs> like, well, I loved him and married him and was very happy <laughs> for the you. rest of my days. Um, and then <laughs> Desi married a woman named Edith Mac Hirsch two years later. But I Love Lucy director William Asher said neither of them ever got over it. I think she always loved him. And there's no question that he always loved her. Aww. I think like you said, like they just couldn't reconcile what they wanted marriage to be. Mm-hmm. Everything else was there. Yeah. Uh, who else could measure up to either one of them? It's one of those couples where you're like, of course you had to be together. Everyone else would have seemed like nobody. Mm-hmm. You know, you're Lucille Ball. You're Desi Arnaz. You're both these incredible, very unique people. Yeah. And uh, they, they gave it a shot. But I think their disagreements, like you said, over what they wanted marriage to be, mm-hmm. it, it was were stronger than you know what 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 brought them together. And you can't blame Lucy either for being like, please don't go sleep with a bunch of prostitutes all no, the time. Absolutely like, not. we are pro sex work in this house. I think, yeah. <laughs> pro sex workers. Yeah, I support them. Pay your pay your weekly. sex workers. Hey. Wait, I mean, what? What's that now? <laughs> We can't uh, afford that, by the way. I know. That's why I'm like, it's really the money. I'm like, what? <laughs> How much money are you spending a week? I can't afford what you deserve for <laughs> the job you're doing. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think it crosses your mind like diseases or what are you going to bring oh, home sure, to me? Sure. I mean, what are you going to bring home to the kids? Like, I don't know what you're doing out there with any number of strangers. And that's, right. that's disconcerting. Even yeah. if you don't care about sex has to be just between us. And that's right. what makes our relationship special and different from our other relationships with people. Right. Even if that's not your mindset, it would still be a lot to be like, I know you're going out all the time with like sex workers and maybe that made her extra uncomfortable. Maybe if it was just a regular affair, she could maybe. have had an easier time with it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm speculating. Speculation stage. Right, right. And I'll just caveat in there, mm-hmm. just so we say it. Right. That, of course, Obviously. sex workers, no higher risk I for... Mean, transmitted diseases than having sex with any random person. In exactly. fact, uh, my understanding is that there's a lot of extra caution that goes in uh, yeah. for for sex workers because they don't want it either. Yeah. Anyway, all speculation on what my What we're part. saying here is loose women are d- diseases and, and they... popping out babies left and right. 
I'm saying loose women are doing just fine. Hell yeah. Get out of their business. Yeah. <laughs> loose seals. Loose seals? Oh. Uh, well, we just got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> That's what did it. Oh, God. Uh, we love women. On we this show, love women. If you choose to be a sex worker, that's fantastic. No, that is fantastic. It's great, and honestly, anyone who's mad work. about it is jealous, including me. Like, <laughs> it sounds like a pretty, pretty solid career. I mean, right? I mean, if you, you don't have to it. like it. Don't don't use it. But a lot right. of people, it's it's a a thing people want to buy, and we yeah. like that in this country. We so sure I don't know do. why we're trying to get in trouble. It's like drugs. I'm like, what? And so people want to buy it. I don't, what are we? We're we, like, guns are cool to buy, but not drugs. Okay. We love it when people buy things in this country. Why are we stopping people from buying things? <laughs> Let them buy the thing. <laughs> well, tangent aside. Lucille Ball was very active in the industry, continuing into the 60s. She was a friend and mentor to Carol Burnett. Ow. Incredible comedian as well. Oh God, I mean, I wish Carol Burnett was a friend and mentor to me. To me, <laughs> exactly. She starred in a number of TV comedy specials through the 70s, and she was an assistant professor at California State University, Northridge. Ugh. Could I go to school? Can I audit just, that class? Friggin' Lucille Ball walks in the door. Right, I'm your teacher. And here's the thing about that, I think is would be really amazing, the way that she talks about her comedy as very crafted and meticulous and not just a natural talent that she had. Mm -hmm. I'm like, she can probably teach the hell out of it because she does it through method, mm -hmm. through formula, through practice and not just, you know, whereas like someone who's naturally very funny might walk in and be like, I don't know, just be funny. <laughs> you know, right. like Lucy's got the skills to pass mm -hmm. on. Yeah. Not that a naturally funny person wouldn't. I'm, I know that, you know, anybody who's teaching comedy knows what to say. But <laughs> I, I think there is something a little extra uh, valuable in somebody who has to work hard yeah. and puts out high quality comedy through mm -hmm. that work. I would love to teach comedy if I wanted to teach. Right, <laughs> right. That's the kind of thing like, well, I would have to dedicate myself to that for a long time. And I'm not good at dedicating myself to things for a long time. Mm -hmm. Present company excluded. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, yeah. If, if I could just magically walk in and give a lesson one day mm -hmm. that was, you know, already prepared for me by me, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> uh, uh. Anyway. So in 1961, Lucy's already starring in The Lucy Show, and Desi Arnaz was directing. Oh, working together. So they're working together. Again, yeah. the best part of their relationship yeah. is what they did when they worked together. Yeah. But he was kind of overwhelmed with all his responsibilities, and he ended up asking Lucy to buy out his shares of Desilu, their production company they had together. Mm -hmm. She paid him $2.5 million dollars. That sounds like a lot. 1961. 1961. Uh, calculate that. And, oh. About $21.5 today. Ching, ching, cha ching, cha ching. So once he was bought out, she became the first woman CEO of a major television and movie production company. Incredible. I mean, boss, bitch, shit. First and first. If anybody deserved to be the first... Lucille Ball. Well, if anybody deserved to be the first, it was probably many decades before that well, when it was true. a male-dominated industry. But mm -hmm. still. Very true. Glad it was. It, if it had passed by Lucy, right. it would have been an even greater travesty. Agreed. Uh, the company at this time, Desilu, wasn't doing great. 
movie studios were beginning to produce their own TV shows, so that was taking a lot of business away from smaller production companies. The only program they were making at the time was The Lucy Show. And so she decided, let's get back into heavy production and start cranking out some content. Right. So the board gets together and Lucy's like, we got to start making shows. We got to start producing new shows again. And they do kind of barrel into that. And they end up producing a lot of shows. The Untouchables, of course, is one of them that we mentioned earlier. Uh, There's a show called Angel, probably not the same that we know today. Angel? (laughs) Uh, Mission Impossible was one of their shows, the original Mission Impossible. Mm. Um, And one day in 1964... This fresh young producer comes up to knock on Lucy's door. His name is Gene Roddenberry. And he says, hey, have I got a pilot for you? (laughs) And it was for this little show called Star Trek. And at first, according to StarTrek.com, Lucy kind of totally missed the point of the show. And she thought the title referred to a group of traveling USO performers during World War II. I would love to see that Star Trek. <laughs> Very different. I am. That's so like, funny. Yeah. There's a bunch of stars and they're trekking through Check. USO tours. I've been on the Star Trek. Everybody. Yes. <laughs> Everyone in Vaudeville's done the Star Trek. Desi got his start on the Star Trek. <laughs> but after she kind of you know, was correct and sort of figured out what it was, she still jumped on board. Author Mark Cushman wrote that she was known for playing a character with harebrained schemes, and she'd learned well from Desi Arnaz. He had been called crazy many times by industry insiders, but he always proved his critics wrong. And that was something Lucy really applied here, because even while some board members were very resistant to the idea of Star Trek, Lucy supported it. And she pushed for it, and eventually the pilot episode called The Cage was produced. This was expensive, and it was complicated, but as it's coming together, they're starting to think, hey, you know what? This Star Trek show might actually be a cultural milestone that sets up a franchise for decades to come. So they finished shooting The Cage, and it was terrible. Nobody liked it. Thumbs down for Star Trek. We're not going to do this show. It was awkward. It was confusing and cheesy and just not very fun. But Lucy had really come to believe in Gene and his project. And she was like, look, I know there's problems, but I know they're fixable. And she fought really hard against the other executives. And in a very, very very rare move she convinced the studio to film a second pilot they retooled the whole thing and they got this new actor William Shatner to come in and play the lead and the show no surprise to everyone who's alive in the world today (laughs) was a hit studio accountant Ed Hall once said if it weren't for Lucille Ball there would be no Star Trek today Mm. So do you hear that, Chris Pine? That's right. Do you hear that, Patrick Stewart? Ain't none of y'all <laughs> would be the stars you are today if it weren't for Lucy. Mm. We all love Lucy. That's right. It's so random. I mean, yeah. I feel like that's a fact that a lot of people know now. It's kind of gotten around there. But if you didn't know that, like I, I more or less just learned that. And I'm like, Lucille Ball made Star Trek happen? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I knew, <laughs> I knew that she was a producer on Star Trek. 
and that Gene Roddenberry came to her. But I didn't know that she had to convince him to make another pilot. That's right. That is very unusual. Right. So, you know, just like they say in Star Trek, never give up, never surrender. (laughs) May the force be with you. To infinity and beyond. Yes, all of these famous Star Trek quotes. That's right. About perseverance. That Ian McKellen says, right? <laughs> that Ian McKellen, the wizard, Yeah, he's good. Said, his hair changes color? Uh-huh. You know, uh, he who shall not be named. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All classic. You're welcome for the classic Star Trek references. Yes. I hope we don't get sued <laughs> by the star of Star Trek, Mr. Mark Hamill. <laughs> <laughs> and in comes the hate mail. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, no, all the Trekkies. Oh, uh, we got canceled again. Now we've got women and Trekkies after us. Oh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so many of our listeners are like, I know you're fucking nerds. So many of our <laughs> listeners. You know which one it is. So many of our listeners are women Trekkies, probably. I know, yeah, they're like, mm. Uh-huh. Very funny, guys. Whatever. So in 1962, after selling his interest in Desi Lou to Lucille, Desi retired to his horse ranch in Las Cruces, Mexico. A few years later, he returned to the industry. He started Desi Arnaz Productions, and he produced The Mothers-in-Law in oh. 1967. Classic show. The classic show, The, the Mothers-in-Law. Mothers-in-law. Uh, he appeared frequently as what a you, guest star. What do you think The Mothers-in-Law is about? I haven't looked. Is it like his mother-in-law and her mother-in-law or roommates? <laughs> they get together. It's like an odd couple, but they're both mothers-in-law. Uh-huh. They got to switch identities. Oh, Yeah. I'd watch it. I'd watch it. In the 70s, Desi made a number of TV appearances, including as a guest host on Saturday Night Live in 1976 to promote his autobiography, A Book. All right. What a name. Here we've been talking about Desi Arnaz as one of the most creative and innovative forces (laughs) in the entertainment world, and his autobiography is titled... A book. A book. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> it is a book. I know. Did nobody did nobody read it and be like, well, Desi, I don't know. There's <laughs> so many other titles. Hey, no one was going to tell Desi to do anything differently. That's so he In probably... fact, they probably did try and he was like, I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think it sold well. Probably fine. It's got a 4.2 on Goodreads. Oh, okay. I Actually, I'd be very interested in reading it. I would too. It is available on Audible for uh, who's our listener? J J R R R R. I don't remember. You can find this on Audible. <laughs> His SNL appearance, by the way, ended with the whole cast doing a massive conga line through the SNL studio. Of Amazing. course, yeah, of course. Uh, he only ever semi-retired. Um, he moved with his wife, Edith, to Del Mar, California, and was breeding horses. Um, she died in 1985. And a year later, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. Um, he had been a heavy smoker for most of his life, including Cuban cigars. Cigars. <laughs> Cuban cigars? I cigarettes, and then it comes Cigars. Cuban, Cuban cigarettes. Hey, can I offer you a cigar? <laughs> hey, I'm, I've almost smoked down my entire cigar. Larry, <laughs> give me another cigar. No problem, boss. Let me get a cigar right away. <laughs> Bob Seagar. Bob Seagar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and 
1986, Lucy's 75 years old. She was about to return to sitcoms with a show called Life with Lucy, and she came to see him in his last days. Uh, It's unclear what their full conversation was, but it was loving, it was kind. Their daughter says his final words to Lucy were, I love you too, honey. Good luck with your show. And he passed away on December 2nd, 1986, just five days before Lucille was awarded the Kennedy Center honor. So it must have been a bittersweet day for her. Oh, just a tough week She would have been fully in grief for for him. Yeah. Partner of a lifetime. Yeah, Yeah, a good friend of a lifetime for sure. So Life with Lucy was going into production. It was co-starring her longtime radio foil, Gail Gordon. And it was produced by none other than Aaron Spelling. But Wow. That's so funny thing about Aaron Spelling being old enough to produce a Lucille Ball show. Right. Like, right. But hey, we're talking in the mid-80s now. I know. Yeah, makes sense. But Life with Lucy was canceled just a few months into its run. Reviews were terrible. And audiences were really disappointed that it wasn't up to the quality that Lucy's shows had been earlier in life, which is asking a lot. She's, I'm 75, people. Right. I'm giving you all I got. I, I gave I, you a lot yeah. already. You already sucks me dry. <laughs> the thing was, Lucy had been hesitant to return to screen. She agreed to do it, citing that she missed having a daily project to work on. And she made her character's last name Barker to continue her tradition of having surnames with A-R in them. On other shows, she was Ricardo, Carmichael, and Carter. And that was a tribute to Desi Arnaz. So she always had the AR in there. But honestly, in hesitating to do the show, turns out her TV instincts may have been correct again because it was panned by critics and audiences alike. Sadly, it became known as one of the worst sitcoms in broadcasting history. Ooh, yikes. I'd argue is probably not still true today because there's been some real stinkers in the last <laughs> yeah, 10 years. Yeah, what year was that? 86. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. We've definitely outdone that in <laughs> badness since then. since then. But I haven't watched it. I don't know. Maybe it's untouchably awful. Shit. In 1988, Lucy suffered a mild heart attack. And in 1989, she gave her final appearance on television when she was a presenter at the Oscars with Bob Hope. They were given a standing ovation. Well deserved. Well deserved. Both both of them deserve a standing ovation. And it's said that that is exactly what she wanted her final moments on stage to be. Yeah. And a month later, she passed away from a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm. Mm. And Ball's friend, Ruta Lee, told Closer Magazine about Desi and Lucy. They spoke so lovingly of each other, you almost forgot they weren't together anymore. It's amazing how kind of more romantic their partnership was when it wasn't romantic. Yeah. You know? Some people can't live together, man. Oh, yeah. And that's just yeah. the ray of the world. Yeah. And if they're just like, I mean, these two were best friends, right? Mm-hmm. And they were best business partners. Yeah. And they did incredible things together. They changed, literally, together they changed the world. Mm-hmm. Who could relate to that besides each other? And I think we've seen that in some couples that we've done in the past. That it's just like... We are such iconic figures in history. Who could I possibly connect to that could know what I've been through and know what the things I've done and really understand the person that I am? Because Mm -hmm. I could be someone who loves me 
unconditionally for who I am and thinks I'm the best thing in the world. And I might think that of them too, but they still, they'll never quite get mm -hmm. the experiences I've had the way that you will. Yeah. You know, that that's, that's an untouchable bond. Right. And an unbreakable bond. Yeah. So much bond to them besides children, which of course is a huge lifetime oh, bond yeah. forever. I mean, that too. But also, yeah, all the struggles of the early years, all the time, all the yeah. stage times, all the horrible phone calls, yep. like all the miscarriages and their shared oh, grief yeah. on that and that struggle too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a hard, that's a person you keep. Maybe not in the same capacity, but you keep that person. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm so glad that they were able to. You know, sometimes right. those romantic relationships fall apart and it is so ugly that all of that that you were just talking about is kind of lost. Yeah, it's true. And the and friendship goes with Yeah, it. yeah. And that's that's sometimes that's for the best. And sometimes that's right. really sad. I mean, you know, I'm very good friends with nearly <laughs> nearly all of my exes. Mm -hmm. Um because of course they're great people. Otherwise I wouldn't have dated them, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> and right. we have shared experiences and we have uh, a, a lasting, important friendship. I mean, these are people that will always be important to me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and there's people I've dated who it's for the best that we don't speak to each other anymore, <laughs> <All> <laughs> you right. know, and that's their fault, not mine. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. you know, hey, I, I don't know. Um, if you're listening, um, you know, you're not. <laughs> you're definitely not listening. No. Um, and you're probably fine. I mean, oh yeah, you're you fine. know, I think you're a treasure babe, but I think they're okay. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, no. They're, it was for the best for right. everyone. Yeah. But anyway, I, I'm just glad that they were able to keep that. Obviously, because they had two children, and that was best for them too. Mm -hmm. But also just because, again, what a golden moment in history of these mm -hmm. two people being together. Well, and it's cool that they didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater per se. Right. I mean, they they were like. I know that we can't be married anymore, right. but we still work together and we still want to work together. We're still friends and we still want to be friends. Yeah. We're still co-parenting and we still want to co-parent. Like, we're going to get the same lawyer and everything. Like, I'm, I don't want to fight with you. Yeah. I don't want to ruin this. Yeah. What the good part that we do have. Right. That's very real. Uh, that's the part I want to preserve. Yeah. Sometimes the divorce preserves the good stuff rather sure, than, sure. than getting rid of it, too. Yeah. So anyway, I thought you meant literally they didn't throw out the baby with the bath. They weren't like, well, we're getting divorced and screw the kids. They can go, they can go live with your their step grandparents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of them will go live with your parents. One of them will go live with my parents. <laughs> no, and then of course, whatever happened to Desi Lu, right? this massive important production company that just changed the whole game of television. I mean, you don't hear the name Desilu anymore. That's true. So you don't think it just fizzled out. And it did not. After Lucille sold her shares to Gulf and Western for $17 million, which tallies up to $130 million today. Ow! The, the company was rebranded as the TV production arm of Paramount Pictures. And that led to a chain of acquisitions, which would bring success to companies like Viacom, mm. we all know is like, you know, Comedy Central and, and many other networks through Viacom, UPN, mm -hmm. and eventually CBS, who had phased out the Paramount TV brand, but recently they resurrected it and we're not hearing about CBS All Access anymore, are we? No, we're hearing about Paramount Plus. That's right. 
And that's Lucy all. Lucy lives again. All from Desi Lou. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, incredible. So cool. These people are just, I mean, as a comedy lover, as right. a television lover, as a history lover, come on. Lucy and Desi. They hit all, all the good shit. Oh, amazing people. <laughs> and a relatively recent history. Um, getting less recent every year, I suppose. But uh, but still, it's some of that modern history of uh, sort of modern entertainment that we get to talk about. Yeah. As opposed to going back to ancient Rome. We're like, yeah, <laughs> these people, sure, if you took them out of history, yeah, the world might be different today. But... We're not living in their legacy right. the same way that we are literally still living in Lucy and Ricky's, Lucy and Desi's <laughs> legacy. But it's also interesting to see in their story kind of where his maleness and her whiteness Oh my God, yes. For each other? Yes. Like hit, there's many times where you can see that if it had been her and not him, it wouldn't have gone the same way. Yeah. But then again, he... Never got his nominations the way she did. And, yeah. you know, like you just can kind of see those two different marginalizations working so differently yep. for both of them at the same time. And I, f- I find that really interesting. I thought about that when she said a lot of people assumed I called the shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you really just like even over sexism, you kind of maybe put your racism and said, well, she's the one in charge. I mean, she's the smart one. Right. She doesn't have an accent, so she's probably the one making the business decisions. I really think played into that. Maybe so, yeah. You know? And they're like, You're oh, shit. Right. Desi Arnaz is actually fucking brilliant <laughs> right. and can probably out-business everybody in this room. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. It's because he knew people. Yep. He knew people so well, and he cared about people. Yep. You know, he cared about... Uh, bringing people laughter and entertainment and joy and dance and music, all these things that people thrive off of mm-hmm. and they want and they'll give anything to have it. Yeah. Some of the best material, some of the best content comes from people who are really, their end goal is not ratings or money mm-hmm. or fame or glory, yep. but joy. Yep. They, they know that entertainment is joy. That's what entertainment does. It makes you happy to be alive for at least a few minutes in time. And that's really valuable and important. It's just like why it matters to have somebody direct USO shows. You need that. You really do need that. It is part of the human experience. It's very important. And I think he had that where he's just like, I just know what makes people happy and laugh and feel good. And that's what I want to make happen here. And yeah, maybe it's some weird idea where we're going to bring in a bunch of paint or whatever, (laughs) but I'm going to do it my way. And I think it's going to work because I'm just looking for the joy. I'm not looking for the money necessarily. You know what I mean? And I'll get into it now. I mean, that's why when they say things like, well, times are tough. So what's disposable? Oh, the arts is, uh, is an insane proposition and I don't just say that as an artist but I think I have that perspective as an artist that okay good luck can you imagine a world with none of this with no entertainment with no performance I mean how could you how why would you want to live in that world exactly. that is not a productive society that is not a group of people who are going to be at their best or be living a, their best experience. So, mm-hmm. like, even if you're just math and numbers and a product, s- sales, 
you know, money circulating, like that's the only thing you care about. Good luck taking the arts out of the mix. Talk to Desi, you know, because okay. A, he'll tell you how you can have both and where they meet. <laughs> right. And he will put you to shame. Um, Which is li- literally one of the most frustrating things about the argument. Uh, we should cut the arts to save yeah. money because the arts make money. <laughs> so much money. It's and insane. they it's jobs. It's an insane amount of jobs. Sorry, we live in Atlanta, so we're <laughs> we have a very <laughs> <laughs> they they cut a lot of arts pointed. funding around here. We have here. A, a very pointed feeling about yeah. arts funding, especially me because I'm in arts nonprofits. But yeah, it's just it's just galling because it's so clear in the numbers and in all of the info, info about it, and you just can't seem to hammer it in anyone's brain. And I kind of get it. I you know again being a nonprofit, you're like fundraise, fundraise, fundraise. So I'm out here asking for money for my cool theater show when <laughs> other people are like, let's feed children, my, you know, <laughs> let's freaking save some burn victims, let's handle cancer, like, you know, they seem to be such more important yeah. issues, and they are, and of course they deserve all, money and attention, Absolutely. obviously. But the theater thing matters too. It yeah. really does, and it doesn't seem as big, but it really is. Well, and there's other less important things that the money could be pulled from that are well, definitely yeah, happening. But it is that, that impact, I mean, not to tangent, but the economic impact of something, you know, you spend $50,000 on a small arts festival and it's not like $50,000 circulates it through the economy. Mm-hmm. It's all the nearby businesses. It's all of the associated vendors. It's all of everyone who touches anyone who touches that. It is a web of 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 industry. I mean, there, there's there's so much else involved in arts that it's it's ridiculous to think that if you got rid of it you're only affecting it right or that you're saving money because you're really not i mean again you're being these greedy execs thinking short-term money instead of long-term gain and leaving a lot of money on the table right because you're dumb anyway that was for you atlanta (laughs) (laughs) slash georgia and the funders yeah (laughs) well bit of a tangent but uh but that's what happens here on ridiculous romance (laughs) we talk about these romances and then we you know we expound we talk about how they um i don't know whatever they pops into our head (laughs) yeah we just like to talk so anyway we'll never we told you go on like a bagpipe (laughs) well let's cut the pipes um we're so glad you guys tuned in i hope you love this story as much as i do i hope we did lucy and desi justice right um because they deserve uh, you know, uh, just an epic presentation mm-hmm. of all that they did for the world today. Yeah. Really, really just two of those people who just came in and changed it all. I know they're doing that movie. Aaron Sorkin um, is writing that Lucy and Desi movie about uh, it's like I think it's about a week of their lives during an episode mm-hmm. of I Love Lucy that they're shooting. So I'm very intrigued. Mm-hmm. Um because they are fascinating characters in real life. And I think that's the movie is more about them as real people than it is about, you know, They're Ricky and Lucy persona. on screen. Yeah. yeah. So. Which is, I guess, good because I, I don't see Nicole Kidman doing Lucy's big humor, yeah. big faces and, well, and all that stuff. And Javier but... Bardem is so different 
from Desi Arnaz in my mind. Mm-hmm. But I, I've, I mean, their daughter Lucy right. has been out talking about it, and she's mm-hmm. like, "Hey, it's not about impersonations. Right. These are these are really good actors." bringing my parents to life mm-hmm. in a really interesting way. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I think it's going to be cool. Um, you'll I hear mean, we'll us... definitely see it. Oh, yeah. And you'll hear us bringing this episode up again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when it's got... Maybe you're listening to it now because the movie just came out and we were like pushing it real hard. <laughs> <laughs> what if it, the reviews are really bad? <laughs> I like, know, right? I'm really excited about this movie. Yeah. Let it be known that, on, that today in September of 2020, we're very... 2021. Ex- oh, God. Today in September of 2021, we're very excited about this movie in the future. And should it be terrible? Well, we didn't know. How could we have known? It'll be another Life with Lucy all over again. Oh, no. The worst thing Aaron Sorkin's ever done. (laughs) All right. Well, please, let's hear from you. I want to know what you thought. Mm -hmm. I want to know other ideas for episodes you've got in the future. I want to know about your Grecian tour guide that you told about the show. Yeah. Reach out. You can email us at romance at iheartmedia.com. Or on the social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Diana Might Boom. I like how we clarify the social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram. I know, like they right? wouldn't know what we mean if we just said Twitter and Instagram. What is Twitter? Is that a social media platform? I don't know. It's just something to yeah. say, guys. It's all right. <laughs> You're at Diana Might Boom. I'm at Oh Great, it's Eli. The show is at Ridic Romance. Follow us. Uh, and uh, and say hey. Yeah. Can't wait to bring you the next exciting episode, the next ridiculous romance. Thanks as always for tuning in. We really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. Absolutely. And we can't wait to do it again. Absolutely. We'll see you then. Bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. 
Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl, go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.